Well, this is a little different than the last time I was here. Uh, things can change rather quickly. Uh, it was in January that I, I got to come and, and preach and, and share, uh, and now we're in summer, and things have been quite different. I actually had a friend who took the time, he's an actuary, and so he can't really grow, uh, he can't let any of his facial hair grow out, but during this whole entire time of quarantine, he has grown the greatest beard that I have ever seen. And the craziest thing is that his wife likes it. But now he's going to have to go back to work, and so it's going to have to come, come off of his face, and we were mourning together because it was such a great beard. It's crazy how things can change over such a short period of time. But I think there is some good news. See, this morning as I was driving here to this church, I wanted to get here early. It's, it's just kind of how I've always been. I, I want to be prepared. And so I showed up here about 8.45 this morning. And as I was driving, I just had this sense of being overwhelmed. Because if you had told me that on this day, I'd be showing up to a church as the pastor there, I would have thought you were crazy. I just would have. Because I, that's not the trajectory that my life was on. I wanted to be a hockey player. Phil knows that he and I have already bonded over hockey. He's forgiven me for my team, and I've forgiven him for his team. But hockey was really the, the big thing for me. In fact, there's almost been this theme in my whole life, and it's been believing the unbelievable. And it was in hockey that I started to, to grasp how I had this concept because my, when, uh, my 17th year of life, so I was playing 18 and under, I was a junior in high school, and I'm playing for this team in Salt Lake City, Utah, and we're playing this team in Texas, and I'm from Texas, and this team didn't think I was good enough to make their team. I wasn't tall enough, I wasn't big enough, I wasn't good enough, and we're there, and my sister is actually there to watch, and so I want to make sure that I'm playing as mean as possible for my older sister, and so we're, we start the game. And I remember being nervous, because I really, really, there are a few times where you actually really want to win, but this was one of those times. And we start the game, and we quickly get behind. We're losing 5-1, to one and we're going into the third period. And I remember rallying my teammates and saying, you know, 5-1, to one, that's a hard comeback. That doesn't often happen in hockey. It's a low-scoring sport. So if you score two goals, it's a good game. But being down 5-1, to one, ah, it's, our chances are looking pretty grim. But what if we believed something unbelievable? What if we stepped out and we thought we were 0-0 and we just gave it our absolute all? And within the first five minutes of the third period, we had scored three goals. And now it's 5-4. to four. And now we're starting to think, well, hold on a minute. This, something special could happen now. And the whole thought process on the bench of all 20 of us was, let's just give them a good scare. Let's not even try to maybe score, outscore them. Let's, we've already come so far. Let's just give it our absolute best just to see what comes down when it's minute, there's a minute left. If we, we might have to pull our goalie to get an extra attacker. Let's just try to give them a good scare. And then we score another goal. And then they score. 
and now it's 6-5, but we're not going to let that, uh, we're not going to let that leave, our, we're, we're so close, so then we score another goal, and now it's 6-6, and there's maybe two minutes left in the third period, and we have them on the ropes. It's a completely different game, and then my roommate, my line mate, steps out on the ice, and due to a, a lucky bounce, gets the puck and scores. But it all started by believing something that was unbelievable. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 1, because we're going to look at a story of a man, a leper, who started to believe something unbelievable. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. We'll be reading through verse 45 as Brother Carl has read for us. I'm just going to read it again, and I will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. It says, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him, and immediately sent him away, and he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city." but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. When I was praying about the passage to begin uh, this ministry here, as my wife Chris and I transition and, and are led by God to open this new chapter here at the Alpharetta Seventh-day Adventist Church, it was difficult Several passages would come to my mind, but they never felt right. I would think about, okay, well, here's a passage that I love, and it's, it's been so powerful for me, but Lord, are you really sure that that's, that's the word for this first Sabbath? And then it was just two weeks ago, I'm on the phone with a friend of mine who's a pastor in Michigan, and I'm asking him, because he's transitioning to a new church, and I'm asking him, what, are, what is it that you're going to preach on, and how did God lead you into picking that text? And while he's explaining to me what he's going to share, it's almost like the Lord uh, cut out the phone, and I didn't hear him, but I heard Jesus telling me this was the passage. See, I'm somebody that has a lot of energy. I tend to get in trouble because I just am always going off, bouncing off the walls. It's just, it's how I always am. And I love the Gospel of Mark because we see Immediately Jesus did this, and immediately Jesus did this, and immediately Jesus did this. But here in this story, there's a change of pace where it slows down for one instance when a leper came and approached Jesus believing something unbelievable. See, a leper was someone that was completely ostracized or marginalized. They lost all of their community. They lost their access to their family because leprosy was known as perhaps one of the worst diseases that you could have. You were literally deemed the walking dead. And so you'd go from your community and you'd have to leave and go to the outer gate and you'd be segregated to be a part of a leper colony. 
And as you're walking, maybe going from one leper colony to another, or somebody who doesn't have leprosy approaches you, you would have to announce, unclean, unclean, unclean. I can only imagine what that would do to your psyche. When you see someone who is able to embrace their family, you see someone walking, maybe children running and laughing and playing tag and playing uh, practical jokes on one another, and you think how you'll never be able to have that experience. But not only will you never be able to have that experience, but you have to announce to them that you are unclean continually in their presence. And so here is a leper who has lost everything, but he hears news of someone, a Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus, who's going into these cities and and healing the sick and, and casting out demons. And he starts to think, now hold on a minute. What about leprosy? Could he heal a leper? But he would have never seen leprosy healed because, in fact, in Scripture, we only have three instances of leprosy being healed up until this point. We have Moses, when he's called by God to go to Egypt and get uh, the Israelites and bring them up out of Egypt. And uh, Moses is asking God, show me that you'll be with me. And so God says, put your hand in your garment. And Moses does, and he brings it out, and it's leprous, right? And he puts it back in, and it's gone. And then we have Moses' sister Miriam, And when she seeks to cause rebellion, she's struck with leprosy, and Moses has to intercede on her behalf. And this instance, with Miriam getting leprosy, would carry the theology of leprosy with the Israelites from that point, considering leprosy an act of judgment by God. Then we have the king Naaman, who, not even an Israelite, but has leprosy, and is told to go wash himself. And those are the only instances of leprosy being healed. And so if this leper knew his Bible, our Old Testament, he might believe these accounts. But time has gone past. And so he could start to think that maybe these are just good stories that my parents told me as a child to help me have faith in God. He might have doubts because he's been for who knows how long having to tell the whole world that he is unworthy, he is unlovable, he is unclean. But good news has come from this Jewish rabbi named Jesus. And so this leper starts to believe, possibly for the first time, something unbelievable. And I can only imagine, because you know he didn't just think, he didn't hear it and process it himself. You know he he asked other lepers if they thought this could possibly be true. Hey, do you think that Jesus, that man, that that has healed that, that lady or that cast out that, that demon? Do you, do you think he could heal a leper? But we know from this story in the Gospel of Mark that he was the only one who wanted to find out if it was true. Because it says a leper, not lepers. And so a leper came to Jesus, but it says that this leper was beseeching him and falling on his knees Before him, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice he believes. It's not, Oh, I I don't I don't know if you have this power, Jesus. I don't know if you are able to. No, he knows that Jesus is able to. It's are you willing? is his question. In fact, in this 
verse when it says, you can make me clean. That word can is the equivalent in Greek to our word for dynamite. Jesus, you have the dynamite to make me clean. You have that power to make me clean. But are you willing? See, this leper has become numb. Now, for those of us who know about leprosy, I was listening to a healthcare uh, professional share about his experience working with leper colonies and how when you Google a picture of a leper, there's often these images that we have that, that we kind of uh, attribute to all lepers and they're missing fingers or toes or parts of their hands or, or etc. And so we tend to think that leprosy kind of decays your body. But really what happens is leprosy attacks the nerve endings to where you become numb. And so here, this leper is not only physically numb from leprosy, but emotionally and spiritually numb because he no longer uh, considers himself lovable. And so he knows that Jesus has the ability to heal him, but he doubts Jesus' love for him because he's the marginalized, he's the oppressed. He's been deemed the, the walking dead. Why would this Jewish rabbi who, yeah, he'll go and he'll, he'll heal uh, Peter's mother-in-law who has a fever, and he'll go and cast out demons, but will he heal a leper? One that is deemed judged by God simply because of this disease? And so that's why he runs up to Jesus and beseeches him, imploring him, asking, if you are willing... I know that you have the power, but are you willing? See, he's numb. But Jesus does something absolutely astonishing, and it's in just consistency with who Jesus is. You see, Jesus slows down. The Gospel of Mark should say, and immediately Jesus cleansed him. That'd be keeping with consistency. That's that author intent. They're going through and immediately Jesus leaves from this city and goes to this city and immediately Jesus gets up and he goes over here and he's preaching and immediately he, he comes back around and immediately people are bringing people. But no, here it doesn't say immediately. It says moved with compassion Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. According to Levitical law, this is Jesus making himself unclean. Jesus, a Jewish rabbi who is speaking with authority that nobody else understands where this authority comes from, has now just done the unthinkable. He has identified himself with the suffering. He has identified himself with the walking dead. He has loved somebody who has thought they are unlovable. He's moved with compassion. It's not because he knows that if he does this, it's going to give him a bigger platform. It's not because if he shares this article on Facebook, other people will tend to think that he knows more than he does. No, he is moved with compassion. It's out of his own heart that he does this. His love compels him to reach out his hand and embrace a leper. And then Jesus says, I am willing, be cleansed. In some translations, it says that Jesus was indignant at the very question, are you willing to make me clean? 
And I think that's rather fitting because Jesus could get frustrated at how would you think that you are to a certain point that I would no longer love you? And so Jesus would be indignant at that question. Why would you think you would get to this point that you are too far gone for my love and my grace to still be yours? And so Jesus moved with compassion. He stretches out his hand and touches him and says to him, I am willing, be cleansed. But notice it's cleansed, not healed. Which means that this leper understood that he needed a full cleansing. He doesn't just want leprosy to be gone. No, he wants to be fully cleansed. He wants to be spiritually and emotionally healed as much as he also wants to be physically healed. He wants to have intimate relationships with other individuals once more. No longer being the outcast who has to live on the outside of community. No, he wants to be welcomed back into the the inner throng of society. And so he asks, and Jesus, moved with compassion, reaches out, touches him, identifying himself with the leper, and says, I am willing. But then Jesus does something interesting. It says in verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. But then in verse 43, he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. Now that sounds rather suspect for someone who is about to go to a cross to publicly show the God of love. No, 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 no. We don't want you to uh, go and tell anyone about what happened. We, you're a completely different person. You can dress differently. You no longer have to tell yourself that you're unclean. Uh, you can, yeah, you might be able to go back and tell your leper colony friends that you are no longer leprous and that they can come too to Jesus, but you can't really go and tell that it was Jesus that did this because, just because. Jesus says, don't go and tell anyone. I wonder why that is. Well, maybe Jesus understood the act that he had done to identify with one individual who was severely marginalized. Because in verse 45, it says, but when he went out and began to proclaim it freely, the leper, of course, right? How could you sit on this news of transformation? How could you just be like, okay, yeah, 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 I'll just, I won't won't go anywhere. I just, no, there's no way that you can do that. You're a radically different individual. You have so much more of life to live. There's no way you can sit on your hands. I remember my 18th birthday. I was born on 11-11, and so 11s have tended to be lucky for me, right? My friends have always called me Lucky Luke because they say that I'll pick up something and I'll just all of a sudden start to win it. And I remember when it was my 18th birthday, 11-11, and my teammates had bought me a lottery ticket because they were convinced that I was going to win because I was turning 18 on 11-11-11. And so they were convinced. And I remember thinking, no, 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 no way, no way. So I I, I took the card, and it was one of those scratch-offs, and I walked to the back of the bus because we're on a bus trip to Omaha, Nebraska from Salt Lake City, Utah, thinking, no way am I going to win. So I, I didn't want them to be disappointed. So I go back and I, I get a, a penny or I find some, some type of something and I scrape it off real quick and I, all of a sudden, before I know it, one number matches, 
another number matches, another number matches, and you had to get five numbers in a row. And I got to the fourth one, and I started thinking, what if I just tell them that I didn't win any money? Because technically, I didn't buy this thing, so they might start thinking, well, we deserve a cut. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, what are my options here? Because, I mean, there's a lot that you can buy in a gas station on a road trip with your teammates. And sometimes you just don't want to share with them because they'll eat all of it. So I have one number left, and I'm thinking through, and I, I scratch off half of it to see if I can tell already. And sure enough, it's five numbers in a row. And I quickly turn over the card to find out what these five numbers mean. And I just won $1,000. And I just threw out every idea I had had, and I just jumped up, and I was like, we're rich, boys! And we went, and I bought all my teammates stuff from the gas station. As many Sour Punch straws as you wanted, any Gatorades, it was, I'm buying. Right? When something good happens to you, you can't sit on it. So Jesus telling this leper, hey, hey, hey. Your whole life has been radically transformed, but I don't want you. I want you to go and present yourself to the priests, because that's in keeping with Levitical law, right? Jewish custom. We want you to go through those proper measures to be assimilated back into society, but I don't want you to tell anyone that it was me. There's no way Jesus had to know that he was going to. But notice where Jesus' place is in verse 45 and where the leper's place is. You see, the leper goes out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in the unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. This leper, at the beginning of this instance, was in the unpopulated areas, and Jesus was in the city. And now, Jesus is in the unpopulated areas. And the leper is in the city. Here, Jesus has just traded places with the leper. Thus pointing us to the part where he will trade places with us on the cross, taking what we deserve so that we can have access to what he deserves. This all began with a leper believing the unbelievable. This has been a theme in my life ever since I became a Christian. I remember moving to Australia to live with my dad and not really knowing what was going to happen. I had just been cut from two junior hockey teams and I was incredibly depressed. I was shallow. I was insecure. I had addictions. It was, it, I was not in a good place. And I remember getting to Australia and my stepmom telling me that uh, I, I needed to, to get a job and she had helped me, she'd actually hooked me up with becoming what they call a gappy at an elementary school. It's somebody who takes a gap year. So instead of going straight off to college, they take a year, they travel, they work, and they mature, is what I've been told is the main purpose of it, is to just mature a little bit more. And so I was working at an elementary school, but that was only temporary because the gappy from England had his flight delayed, and so I got three weeks at this grammar school, Trinity Grammar Prep in Sydney, Australia. But one of the pre-K teachers, her 
brother, or maybe it was her brother-in-law, owned a smokehouse. I thought, you know, I'm from Texas. I like good barbecue. Um, yeah, this won't be that hard of, a, hard of a job. And so I go in for an interview, and I meet Richard, this probably about six-foot-five retired rugby player, the biggest man I've ever seen, with the meanest voice I've ever heard. And he starts to walk me through the only opening that they have at their smokehouse. And he turns me around, and I see this, this guy who looks a little bit my age, and he's opening these boxes, and he's dumping meat, frozen meat, into this giant container so that it can become sanitized to be cooked. And he said, yeah, you'd basically be doing some of that, some other stuff. Basically, just whatever needs to get done, you'd, you'd be working on. I said, okay, you know, it sounds, it sounds pretty fair. I, I really want a job, so I'll take it. I shook his hand. And I remember, while shaking his hand, he looked at me kind of interestingly. I, he didn't say anything. He just looked at me. And then as I left, I was, I was leaving, and I remember this image so vividly because you could see into his office, and he was looking at his hand. And I didn't understand why until several months later. See, when you play ice hockey for as many years as I did, your hands are always in hockey gloves, and your hands are always sweating. And so your hands become really, really soft. Just incredibly soft. Every time I've shaken somebody's hands, they've always said, your hands are so soft. What lotion do you use? And I just tell them it's the hockey lotion. Of you just, when your hands are in hockey gloves and you put baby powder in your gloves to try to kill the stench because it's pretty bad, your hands get really soft. And it wasn't until we were cleaning the inside of this giant refrigerator room and you have these giant sliding doors we're power washing because we want it to be clean. And the door comes off the hinge because somebody had slammed it too hard. And it comes down and I'm talking to my manager, who we call Mr. Because he's from China and his name was too difficult to pronounce. So he just had everyone else call him Mr. And I'm talking to him and out of the corner of my eye, I see this giant door start to fall. And so I grabbed Mr., and we turned, and the corner, in turning, caught me right between my eyes. And we caught the door, and everyone rushed and picked it back up and things like that. And Mr. looks at me, and I'm, I'm bleeding down from right in between my eyes. Just the giant door just hit me right in, in between my eyes, the corner of it. And he says, you need, to, you need to go probably get some stitches. And I said, okay. So I walk past, and, or I walk back, and there's the office, and Richard's in his office, and I pop in. I say, hey, Richard, I think uh, I probably need to go get some stitches. And he's like, well, sit down. Let me look at you. And he starts to, you know, he grabs my head, and he's looking, and, uh, and he says, yeah, sure enough, you probably should go get some stitches. And I was like, okay, how long, how long do you think that'll be? He's like, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure. You're, you're on a uh, working holiday visa, so I don't know what that weight line will look like. I don't, uh, no idea. I was like, okay. I was like, you think it'll be more than an hour? He's like, yeah, it'll definitely, you'll probably just go home. Just afterwards, just go home. I said, okay, okay. So I left his office. I went back to a first aid station that was near the bathroom where we had all the supplies. I grabbed a butterfly band-aid and I stuck it in between my eyes. And then I went back to work because I'm a hockey player. I'll get stitches later. 
Okay? There's a job to be done. Well, Richard, I remember he's walking back, and it's almost the end of the day. Our shifts tended to end around 3.30 or 4.30, whenever the work was finished. And he does a double take and realizes that I'm still there. And he, he looks at me, realizes I have a butterfly Band-Aid on it, and it, it's, it's bleeding through, right? So I've had several at this point. And he says, Luke, I, thought, I told you to go home. I was like, yeah, Richard, but there's a lot of work to be done, and I, I just want to make sure it's almost Christmas season. I want to make sure that the job gets done. And that's when he told me why he was staring at his hand when he gave me a job. He said, when he shook my hand, my hand said that I had never had a hard day's work in my life to him because they were as soft as could be. But after seeing me work for several months, he realized that it, that just wasn't true. He didn't know why. He thought I had some genetic mutation where my hands were just super soft. But he, he knew that it wasn't because I didn't work. And so he said that when he gave me a job, he was willing to, in essence, believe and something that to him was unbelievable. That some kid from Texas, living in Australia for a year, would actually come in and work hard. And not be late to work, not miss days, would come in and try to work as hard as possible. He was willing to believe in something unbelievable. This leper, he approaches Jesus, why? Because he believes in something previously unbelievable. But to him, it's fully believable. He's heard about Jesus. Now, he has doubts on if he's lovable enough to receive this, but he knows that Jesus has the power. How often do our prayer lives mirror this leper's plea when we say, Lord, we know that you have the ability, but if it's your will. Lord, we know that, that you have the power, We've read in Romans 8 where we have the promise that we have the, the Holy Spirit, the same power that, wrote, that raised Jesus from the dead, is given to us. But Lord, if it's your will, we ask that you would be with our friend who's sick. Because of believing in the unbelievable, I've had the privilege of witnessing things that other people would say I'm crazy to even just tell the story of. Of friends who are deemed too far from Jesus, they would never ever want to come and embrace and have their whole life changed to now being uh, just absolute pillars in their local church. Talking with youth who were deemed by other youth or parents or uh, church members that no, 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 they've gone too far. We've tried, pastor, we've tried, that are now leading worship in their church from church members who were selectively mute when they were younger to preaching the gospel simply because I refuse to see things as, as unbelievable. Because with Jesus, how, how could I not? I can believe that he will do it. And so I'll ask him boldly in prayer. I'll ask him to bring a friend of mine who has COVID symptoms back to not let COVID take him. I'll ask for a friend who has gone through the loss of a relationship to restore or to repair or to mend. I'll ask. And if God doesn't answer, I'll let him tell me why when we get into heaven and on the new earth. But it won't stop me from asking. 
And I think now at this juncture in history, when it looks like the world is just burning around us, and it makes us think that Jesus surely is on the horizon, right? Surely he's going to come soon, but we don't know. I believe he is. I believe he's just, we're right there. We could wake up tomorrow and we could hear that trumpet. That's how fast things can move. We don't know. But what we can do is we can be an example of believing something other people consider unbelievable. We can believe that this church, the Alfreda Seventh-day Adventist Church, can be a place where our friends and our family and our enemies and our co-workers and those we disagree with politically and those we disagree with on their lifestyle habits and can come together and meet Jesus and be radically transformed because they are lovable and because Jesus is willing. In fact, he'll slow down his pace just to reach out and empathize with them before transforming them. That is the Jesus that we as Christians will be lifting up. And so I'm excited. I don't know what the possibilities are, but I know they are infinite because we serve an infinite God. They're infinite. And so I am willing to be committed. And you can hold me accountable to this, and I will hold you accountable. And everyone watching online, we will hold you accountable that we're willing to believe the unbelievable when it comes to Jesus. Because he swapped places with us. He did something unbelievable. He left his glory in heaven to be associated with the lowly and become acquainted with grief on our behalf. That is Jesus. I want to pray for us today, and then I know Michelle has another song to sing. I'm so thankful. I know you guys are going to be thankful that she's singing and not me, because it would be... That is very true. Thank you, Suzanne. We're going to pray, shall we? Father, Lord, this morning, I just thank you for your grace. Lord, sometimes it's overwhelming how far you take us from where we were. Lord, nobody would have ever thought that you would have brought some insecure Texan that was very rough around their edges and call them into ministry. But Lord, I know that my story is not, uh, not a, uh, what's the word? Uh, just a rare occurrence, Lord, for, for so many of us have come from places that, Lord, it just doesn't make sense that we would gather this Sabbath to worship you if it wasn't just because of the good news of who you are and your love for us. And so, Lord, we look at this leper and how he was willing to believe something unbelievable. That even though he had never seen a leper healed, he believed that you could heal him. And so, Lord, as our church embarks on this next chapter, Lord, may we be willing to believe in things that we've never seen. May we be willing to believe that you can step into marriages and bring reconciliation that you would step into the racial turmoil happening in our community and our country and bring healing. Lord, that you would guide us because ultimately you are the cornerstone of your church. Lord, we thank you for this story and we thank you for what is on the horizon because we know no matter what that it is you, Jesus. 
coming to take us home. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll just sing without the music. <laughs> I'm sorry. His His love reached from the heavens to the far ends of the earth to give you life forever. He left no stone unturned. And before the birth of time, Jesus had you on his mind. So you never need to question his concern. So what can separate you from the precious love of God? Who could ever come against his strong and perfect love? So when you're in the valley and your nights are cold and lonely, darkest hour is just before the dawn. Remember nothing can separate you from God's love. He numbers and every star and calls them all by name he counts them one by one and sees that they are still in place and if he cares for every star then he sees right where you are you can trust you'll never far from his So what can separate you from the precious love of God? Who could ever come against His strong and perfect love? So when you're in the valley and your nights are cold and lonely, 
darkest hour is just before the dawn. Remember nothing can separate you, neither pain nor sorrow, not today and not tomorrow, nothing past or nothing present, nothing future, nothing precious love of God. Remember nothing could ever come against His strong and perfect love. So when you're in the valley and your nights are cold and lonely, the darkest hour is just Will you please stand with me as we leave this house of worship uh, after prayer? What a great Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, Lord, just what great news that nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, we ask that as we leave this place, that we would be able to rest in just that profound truth that you love us. Lord, thank you for loving us. It's amazing. Amen.